Good morning, Atlanta Hawks fans. Uh, first and foremost, before I get started with the podcast today, I just wanted to let you guys know who I am. First and foremost, uh, Xavier Trish, lifelong Hawks fan, born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, of 27 years at this point. Uh, I've been a Hawks fan for as long as I could remember. They're the first Atlanta sports team that I tied my my wagon to, or hitched my wagon to. Uh, they were the first team that I saw in person. They were the first jersey I bought. They were the first banner I bought. They were the first pro- poster I bought. Shout out to Sharif Abdul-Rahim. Um, they were the first team I vividly remember crying about when we lost to the Boston Celtics in Game 7 um, with the Young Hawks, Josh Childress, Al Horford, Josh Smith, Joe Johnson, Mike Bibby. Uh, but even before that, shout out to having a Steve Smith jersey. Um, Mookie Blaylock being a player that I akin myself to as a child. Um, the list goes on and on. The list literally goes on and on. Um, I was at my last Hawks game. I was at the home opener for last year's season against the Magic, um, or one of the home openers against the Magic last year. I was also at the playoff game last year, or uh, two years ago. Um, against the Heat. I was also in attendance this year, multiple games. Um, and I've also been a former Hawks employee, but we'll get into that in, in, in a later episode. Uh, but yeah, welcome to the pod. Uh, I like to call this breakfast with the Hawks because I do this in the morning. I record this about eight o'clock in the morning, seven o'clock in the morning, well before my little one wakes up, just to get my thoughts off about the Hawks. So, yeah, welcome to Breakfast Talk with the Hawks. And let's talk about Jalen Johnson, off-ball Trey, the preseason that I haven't been able to get to um, until now, and talk about this Hawks team and what is an extremely pivotal year for us. First and foremost, I want to start off with this. This is probably the most important year in Trey Young's career thus far. This would be coach number three, the most high-profile coach that we've had under Trey's ten under Trey in Trey's tenure here. Um, he made a very, very seemingly Trey-centric move this po- this previous off season with the moving of John Collins in some respects. Um, and I'm talking about on the floor, not off the floor. It's an offseason that saw us essentially swing for Pascal Siakam multiple times and not budge on players that I think both are under the gun this year to perform due to the fact that we did not trade for Pascal Siakam. Unfortunately for those players, they will consistently be under the gun all season. I don't think they should be, but they will be. That's just kind of the nature of the game, and we all know that. Um, And those players are Jalen Johnson. Uh, Kobe Bufkin, um, Oyeko Nkongu, and DeAndre Hunter. Uh, four of the guys named in the trade in particular. Um, and we've got to see three of those four guys in, in, in the preseason. And I'm going to hit on all three of them. Starting off with Jalen Johnson. This kid right here, man. I mean, we, we all, you know, to an extent, Hawks fans have known Jalen Johnson had the potential to be, you know, a high-level player in this league. Not only does he have the ball handling that most fours don't possess, uh, the feel and the touch, in the passing game that most fours don't possess. But he also has an athleticism that we haven't seen at the four spot 
since early John um, and is able to do it with the ball in hand, not just on the pick and roll, not just on the, sh- on the low block, not just at the dunker spot, but able to go coast to coast, make several give-and-go passes, make the right touches. I mean, we saw this game, in particular this last one against the Pelicans, a lob to Onyekon Kongu um, after a give-and-go at the top of the key. This is a kid who has extremely good feel for the game. Um, and the shooting just is what has to come around, right? We, 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 this is something we, that has been talked about since he got drafted. Could he shoot at the next level? You saw the highlights at Duke. You saw the potential. You also saw a guy who, in my opinion, is extremely hungry to prove the doubters wrong. This was a kid, and uh, a little backstory on me, I've been covering high school basketball for almost a decade now. This is a kid who was one of, and this is no exaggeration, the most talented players in the country coming out of his year uh, in high school. And by going to Duke, and more importantly, by leaving Duke early, got a got a bad rep. Um, you know, a lot of people thought that it was possibly, you know, mental. People thought that maybe the kid couldn't cut it at, you know, one of the more prestigious universities in in, in basketball. And it took a hit to his draft stock, unfairly in my perspective. Uh, the kid leaves college with about 10 games to go, 10 or 12 games to go, in a year where I just felt, you know, any decision like that, going through the COVID processes, going through all the extra that they had to go through that season just to play and to begin with, for a kid to say, I'm good, I'm going to bow out, I'm going to figure out my next stages without staying around a team that at that point had no real aspirations of winning anything at that point, I didn't really knock him for. I saw the talent. I saw the ability on the floor. The off the floor was obviously if you're a GM and an owner, you have those discussions. But if he checks all your boxes, then him leaving Duke shouldn't be that much of a mark. And yet it was. And for Hawks fans, well, thank you. Because this kid has the ability to play at this level and be, at this point, I have to say, be a fringe star level player at this level. He has the tools. He has the ability. He has the mindset. And you can tell year in and year out he's just gotten better. You know, you know, quick synopsis, year one could score all over the G League but couldn't stop a soul. <laughs> year two defense jumps off the page at the NBA level, but the offense was a little bit behind. But you saw the flashes, right? You saw the ability to pass. You saw the ability to run the floor. You saw the ability to be somewhat uh, somewhat of a lob threat, but also throw lobs, right? So you saw that there was some potential. In a year three thus far, in three preseason games, he's shown you the ability to shoot in certain respects. He's shown you the ability to run offense in certain sets. And he's also shown you the ability on the pace and on the break to be extremely effective, both as a ball handler and off the ball. This kid's got the juice. He's got what could be, and I know I don't want to put too much weight on the kid going into the season, but could be a missing piece, a missing cog in what could elevate this Hawks team from a play-in team, as we've been the last two years, to being a bona fide playoff team. And that would be one of the six teams, obviously, in the Eastern Conference. Onyekon Kongu. It's a massive year for the kid. We all know this, right? Not only is Onyeka's contract coming to a close, um, at least his rookie deal is, and he's also been talked about as one of the main guys that the Hawks want to re-sign, it's also massively important that he continues to play in the way that he is, understanding that it seems like the starting center position 
is his to have if he wants it into the future. Um, Clint Capella's deal is up in, I believe, two years. And realistically, the only natural fit behind him would be Onyekon Kongu. Um, and two years counting this year, by the way. I want to make sure I, I, I preface that statement. And he has shown me the spots in which I believe will separate him as an NBA center. I've said a lot, you know, and if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do that at Xavier underscore Trish. I'm in a lot of Hawks spaces and will be as the season progresses. Um, but this is a guy who realistically has to elevate his game as a scorer to make up for some of his defensive deficiencies. And when I say defensive deficiencies, I don't necessarily mean his actual deficiencies. We're just talking about height. Really. Like, really. He's just not the rim protector that that a Clint Capella is. Right? He's a 6'8", 6'9", kind of combo forward where he's able to play the center spot because of his physicality, because of the ability to bang a little bit, and because of his switchability. But he doesn't have the ready, the, the ready to go size of a, of a of a Clint Capella, you know, um, and players like that where it's like okay, he's six eleven, seven foot. He, you know, they can run. They immediately are able to rim protect out of high school, out of high school, out of college, um, out of overseas because they just have the height, right? They don't have to, you know, over, they don't have to work overly hard to be in position at the rim like a guy who's six eight, six nine. Right, and is now considered the average size of, of a small forward in some respects, um, you know, playing the center spot. But in the ways that Onyeka can improve himself um, on both ends of the floor this year are, are pretty obvious, right? He's got to become more of a dominant rebounder. Um, this is a guy who in flashes has shown extremely high highs on the glass, but it's only been in flashes thus far. Maybe that's due to him not starting, but possibly that's due to him being inconsistent on the glass, right? We saw a tick jump last year uh, from 5.9 boards in the 2021-2022 season to last year jumping to 7.2 boards. So that was already a plus, right? If we can get a guy who comes off the bench and almost averages a double-double, then you're really moving in the right direction. The biggest thing for me, though, is his offensive repertoire. And this is something that he has improved on year over year. This is something that he has shown that he wants to improve on, more importantly. And you're seeing it. This is a guy who is feeling confident enough so far in the in the preseason to take threes. Now, that in and itself is a quality that Atlanta has not had in a long time. I'm trying to think. I mean, I don't want to I don't want to compare him to Paul Millsap, right? Paul Millsap was like one of the best late career jumps we've seen in the NBA in the last decade. Um but Oyeka as a shooter changes the, the trajectory of his career and I think of the Hawks' trajectory going forward as well. Because Des is a brother who, if he is able to shoot the basketball at a 37% clip, 36 hell, I'll even give him high 34s. You're looking at a genuine three-point threat that once again stretches the floor brings space, brings versatility to an offense that, although ranked in the top five the last two years, has been extremely stagnant, extremely readable, and easy to defend if you were able to stop the point. And that is either Trey or DeJounte when I say that. 
But he being able to shoot and being a willing shooter throws a wrench in everybody's scheme coming into the year. The spacing is elite when he is on the floor and he is shooting the ball well. I've likened Onyeka to a guy like Bam Adebayo. I think he has that sort of potential. He's not necessarily the physically imposing person that Bam has been throughout his career, but he's got it. He's got the potential. They're around the same size. Uh, Bam's just built a little bit differently, which is why it looks like Bam's so much bigger, but they've got the size. And if you're able to put the proper pieces around that, we've seen how well the Heat have been able to play at times, right? Back-to-back Eastern Conference Finals runs last year, making the NBA Finals with with, with what people would consider an undersized center. So we know what's possible. Kobe Bufkin. Kobe Bufkin, in my opinion, is the key to this team's bench. If Kobe Bufkin hits the ground running, there is no ceiling for this team this year. And the reason as to why, and I've been screaming this from the Raptors for almost three years now, so I'm so happy to see it, the Hawks finally have a backup point guard. They have a genuine backup point guard. Not Jalen Johnson playing a point forward role, not us getting Aaron Holiday minutes, not us getting, you know, in this year, I guess you would say Patty Mills minutes, not us having to rely on DeLon Wright in previous years. No, we've got a genuine guy coming off the bench who wants to score with the ball in hand, who wants to defend, has the size and length to do so, and can genuinely play the backup point guard position. This is huge. I think this has gone extremely under the radar that he hasn't, you know, that he didn't go in the Pascal trade because we've got a guy here in Bufkin who can really play. You know, I, I don't know how much you all have been able to watch a preseason yet, but Bufkin looks extremely comfortable, ball in hand and at times ball off hand. You know, I I just think this kid has, once again, don't want to put too much pressure on him to be an elite-level player in year one. But he, if he can give us some of the numbers that he's been giving us thus far this this uh, this preseason with a, a tad bit more efficiency, you're looking at, once again, a kid who elevates this team in his first year just by doing the little stuff right. Playing defense, getting on the glass, you know, giving me the odd outburst for scoring. The occasional nine, the occasional 12, both of which he scored in the first two games of preseason. Like I said, I would like to see it on better efficiency, but he has the ability to go get that number. On a consistent basis in the, in the regular season, you're looking at a guy who transforms what has been a really a revolving door of mid over the last two seasons. Two, two players are, are a position that we've had to really reach at straws for to really see what that that's going to be coming into the year, right? It's just been rough. Um, so Kobe Bufkin is a backup point guard. I'm extra, I'm extremely excited to see what he does. He might be, he might get some time in the G League this year. Wouldn't be surprised about that at all. But I think long term trajectory, if he continues to play like he's playing, it's going to help out the long term trajectory of this roster as well. Let's get to some of the guys who I think this year in particular um, are going to be huge for this roster. But more importantly you know, have to see our what-ifs under Snyder, right? Some good what-ifs, some, you know, wait-and-see what-ifs, right? Obviously, I spoke on DeAndre Hunter earlier in the episode, and I do think DeAndre 
is probably the biggest what if on this roster right now. Not only because we haven't seen him in preseason, but also because I think with him, like Jalen Johnson, like Onyekon Kongu, if he takes that genuine next step in his maturation on the offensive side of the floor, then this team goes from being a playing team, like I said earlier, to a bona fide playoff team. Hell, if DeAndre takes the next step, and I mean this in all sincerity, you're looking at a top four seed in the Eastern Conference. And I mean that because DeAndre is the key, in my opinion, to this roster's elevation. We've got Trey. I think Trey and DeJounte both are going to take genuine, noticeable steps to help this team win. I think it's going to be Trey and his efficiency. I think it's going to be DeJounte and his defensive efficiency goes back up. And offensively, I think he's going to be able to diversify a little bit more as he's becoming a better three-point shooter in year two in this offense. But DeAndre has the ability to do both in a league that is becoming more wing-centric by the day, right? If you want to win win a championship, unless you're the the Nuggets, right, unless you're the 76ers, you got to have a good to great or great to elite wing, right? You got to have it. And I think where DeAndre has been an above-average wing, I think he has the ability to be good. And I think even more so, he has the potential to play great. And what I mean by that is I think we've seen flashes of him playing great. It just hasn't been able to stick. Right? Everybody remembers that, that, that Eastern Conference Finals run. But if you go back and look at DeAndre Hunter's numbers, both on the offensive side of the floor and his defensive rating and his defensive wins, win shares in that first round against the Knicks, he was an elite defender in that series. And he was an above average to good scorer which will put him in that good to great range in the wings, right? And that's what people are clamoring for right now. That's what the NBA has shown everybody, that, it, that, that that's what they want. Unless you can get yourself a freak of nature, like a Jokic, like an Embiid, like a Wimby. The other piece that you want right now is a versatile wing. Shout out to Franz Wagner. Shout out to, obviously, Brandon Miller got taken second in this past year's draft. Shout out to Paolo Bancaro. Um, hell, you could just continue to name magic players. <laughs> but realistically, versatile wings that have the ability to defend multiple positions and get a bucket when they need to. I think DeAndre Hunter has the ability to do both, and I'm extremely excited to see what he does under Snyder and what he's been training for under Snyder. Now, once again, he's taken the preseason off to rest, so I do expect some rust. I, I don't want I don't want to you know treat that as a pass at all, but I do expect to see some rust, right? Now, I don't expect to see rust on the defensive end. This is where I expect him to become better as a defender. Last year, and under Nate in particular. And Snyder alluded to this. The Hawks were a team that helped way too much, leading to what I would believe was a DeAndre Hunter that felt like he had to hold down the defense with Clint Capella. And, you know, John Collins, as he became a better help side defender. I think this year there is a lot more individual focus on defensive basketball. And that's a long way to say that I think everybody knows they've got to be better defensively by themselves, you know. I'm gonna, you know, gonna hear a lot of by yourself X player on mics this season as they get back on defense, and I genuinely think that's because of the fact, once again, that Snyder is not going to preach 
a ton of help side defense. Now, the one thing I have seen in preseason, and now we can get into the preseason talk from more of a macro level, not just a micro level, is I've seen a, be- a bigger emphasis on true double teams on the defensive side of the floor, actually switching, and post help before the ball even gets there. This is something that under Nate, the Hawks didn't do to great effectiveness. And on top of that, this is something that we really didn't see under Nate all that much. Um, lot, not, not very much switching, but I've seen DeJounte on a five. I've seen Jalen on a, on, a, on, a, on a point guard. I've seen Oyeka switch onto a two all preseason. I've seen guys, even when the bench comes out there, like Garrison Matthews, who make sure that they are keeping their feet right in front of the paint or keeping their feet in the paint to ensure that that entry pass to the center is not nearly as easy as it has been in previous years where you've watched you know a ton of space be given to a center who's posting up Clint or posting up Onyeka. And it, seem, it seems like our guards are not doing anything to help that. That's changed tremendously. Um, I also saw in game one how they treated Mobley that as soon as Mobley got the ball, he saw two. And you saw an emphasis on rotations, making sure that everybody can cover everybody. And, yeah, did it still leave open threes on, on occasion? For sure, for sure. But those are the kinks that you're going to have when you're learning how to, you know, when you're unlearning one defense and you're learning another defense and now you're putting it to, you know, you're, you're, you're putting it on display. And I've liked that. I've liked the switch in defensive focus from less of a help side team um, or a help defensive team to more of an individ, uh, individual focused team, you know, at the point of attack. And then obviously in the in the post where I think he understands, and he being Snyder, understands that we have somewhat of a deficiency at big forward slash shinners showing more doubles, more true doubles, not the, oh, I got you, I got you. And, and it's kind of, you know, that, that Colin Sexton clip when he's hopping back and forth like his controller is broken. No, 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 no. True double teams. You know, a center seeing two on the catch, a center seeing two off of, you know, immediately in the post as he goes to post up. You know, a center off after he, you know, makes his initial, initial move, seeing multiple hands trying to go at the, at the basketball. And that's the next thing I'd like, I, I've seen, more of an emphasis on reaching and not unhinged where it's just like a bunch of guys in the wreck and they're just reaching at everybody because they don't think anybody can dribble. I'm talking about genuine, oh, that boy, that boy can't dribble or that guy can't dribble to his left or that man is a forward and he's looking sloppy with the basketball. Let me just put my hand in there and see what happens. And it's leading to more turnovers. You know, it's leading to easier baskets. It's leading to more times to run. And then that's my next point. The pace, the pace, baby. The pace is gone up. The speed on display is something that I personally am going to be such a fan of. This is a team, this is too young of a team that over the last two years has slowed the game down like we were the big three Celtics. I'm sorry. We're not. They're not. You've got a bunch of sub-30 year olds out there, and the only person with anywhere near plus 30 knees has been Bogey. And even then, he's somebody who likes to run because running's going to give him more wide-open three-point opportunities. So pace is the next thing I've seen on display. Transition basketball, the emphasis on transition. 
the want to push the break. The want to make sure that you always put the defense under pressure because they're always having to you know, worry about you getting out on the break. And this is going to lead to some highlight plays for Jalen Johnson. I mean, we've already seen in the preseason the no-look pass this previous game against the Pelicans to him on the break. Another one uh, with Trey bounced in between his legs on the break to Jalen. I mean, it's going to lead to some fantastic plays, not just only for him, but Clint Capella has been a transition monster in his career. Look at the numbers. This is a guy who can run with the best of them at his position. It's going to lead to some DeAndre Hunter roll, runouts. And we know that DeAndre Hunter, with the proper steps and the proper speed, he can get up there. He can get up there. Right? It's going to lead to probably one, one or two DeJounte posters that I'll probably put on my, uh, my wallpaper for a couple of days. And it's going to lead to some flashy trade passes to open shooters, whether that be Sadiq, whether that be Bojan, or Bogdan, excuse me. Or whether that be, you know, Kobe Bufkin on the break. Like, it's going to lead to just better basketball in some respects um, and more fun basketball to watch. I know for a fact, so many, so many Hawks fans were sick and tired of watching slow, drawn-out, one-on-one basketball in the, thir- in the third and fourth quarter when we, quote-unquote, needed a bucket. So to see that in other forms is going to be Chef's kiss. And that's where we get on to the ending, to the last part uh, of the preseason rundown so far, and that's the offensive side of the, of the basketball. Off-ball Trey, as it's been coined on Twitter, right? And it's not just off-ball Trey. It's off-ball everybody. The ability for guys to be able to work at point of attack while coming downhill, something we haven't seen from this offense in a long time. There were clips and they have been highlights, you know, if, and for this, you really would have had to watch full games thus far. I've been able to watch two out of three of them fully all the way through. Shout out to League Pass. That I've seen Sadiq being able to come downhill off of a catch. And I just, and talking about DeAndre Hunter earlier, you see those things and you go, that's what DeAndre about to cook. Because DeAndre has been one of the better players coming downhill, especially with his mid-range pull-up on this team. Since he's gotten here. So you know when you're watching Trey come off of a down screen and run the baseline, which leads to open space in the paint because now Trey's gravity is taken to, he swings it to Sadiq. Sadiq's got a one-on-one against a guy who he feels physically stronger than. Take it down and finish around the rim, son. You just know that DeAndre Hunter is going to be able to do the exact same thing. You just know Jalen Johnson is going to be able to flourish in an offense where now you've got, you know, Clint on a pin down or Clint, you know, doing the pin down. DeJounte rolls off. They've got to help because of, a, of an amazing screen from Clint. Jalen's over there in the corner, back, you know, going back door. Mm, lob. Mm, pass to the wing. Let him go to work. Now he's on a smaller guard because they've been forced to switch because of all the screening action. Now Jalen's on a small guard. Go to work, big dog. Hell, is he going to help Clint? <laughs> right? It's going to help Clint, who is somebody who's been marred by the fact that I think he's been having to play so many just pure centers on both sides of the floor. He's going to get some easy buckets. And he's a guy who's feasted off easy buckets, but I think he's going to get even easier buckets this season. Onyeka, you've seen certain certain actions that's getting Onyeka wide open threes from the top of the key. Wide open, not uber contested, like the Kevin Herter era. And I, and I coined that to be funny, but y'all know what I'm talking about. 
a lot of just overly contested hand in the face, multiple hands in the face, three-point attempts that we've had to take over the last two to three seasons to be a winning team. But that's because the offense was so stagnant. That's because once Trey got his penetration, there was nobody else to help. That's because once the pick and roll didn't work the first, second, or third time, now it was, oh, Kevin, shoot this one from 32 feet. Oh, Kevin, hit this one from 29 feet. Oh, Bogey, can you shoot this one from the corner with somebody already draped all over you? Right? Those things, I think, for the majority of Hawks fans have become tiresome and cumbersome to watch, and those things might be gone just from what you've saw, seen in the in the preseason. And this is the last point I have about the preseason, really, is the one thing I've, I've been extremely excited about is the depth on display with Snyder's offense. Now, this is something that I'm a big depth guy, and you'll know and you'll learn that as the as the podcast continues because I believe depth is where you win championships. I don't believe it's just stars being stars, but as the Nuggets proved last year, and as the Warriors have proved over several years, that when you have competent depth, they can win you two playoff games. They can win you the pivotal game six. They can win you a pivotal game seven. When your stars don't have it going. Hell, the Celtics have proved that for the last, what, decade? With the Brad Stevens, Joe Mazzula, um, Ime Udoka era? That having good depth, good to great depth, can make up for deficiencies that you might have in your starting lineup from game to game. And more importantly, and this is the biggest thing, it's that depth being able to work within the system that you're providing. The one thing that always killed me about the Hawks over the last couple of years is we had an isocentric PNR offense that genuinely only worked for our starters. Our bench couldn't run it. You'd watch it, right? Nobody wants to watch Aaron Holiday and a young OO run the PNR, <laughs> right? It just doesn't work. But I'm watching, as I'm, as I'm watching preseason, the thing I'm watching the most once the starters do go out, is I'm watching our bench. I'm watching the fringe players, the two-way guys, being able to run the system, being able to run what Snyder is preparing for them. I'm watching guys like Garrison Matthews flourish in the preseason. I'm watching guys like Wes Matthews and Patty Mills getting wide-open three-point looks. I'm watching guys like Bruno Fernando, you know, look better than he did, obviously, previously when he was here. But he's grown up a lot. But look better, right? Look more fluid on the offensive end. And that's not something I've ever been able to say about Bruno Fernando. I'm watching the young, young guys, the Seth Lundys, right? Kobe Bufkins, like I just mentioned. Um, the Trent Forrests of the world. Flourish in the offense. I'm even watching guys like Mo Gay, who you can tell they're already putting on the Jalen Johnson track as a point forward with the ability to finish around the rim on the same track of Jalen Johnson, flourish at times in this preseason. Things I have not been able to say in previous preseasons unless the kid was just cooking in the one-on-one. And that's not feasible for 82 games. And we know it's not feasible for the playoffs. So I've been ex- that maybe more than anything has made me more excited about the season coming up as I'm watching the offense, not just work for superstars, not just work for elite-level players, not just work for good players, but I'm also watching them work for rotational guys. And that right there is what makes you scary. What makes the Celtics scary and what has made them scary over the last couple of years is, oh, dang, 
when Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown sit down, I still got to worry about Derek White. I still got to worry about uh, Marcus Smart. I still got to worry about Malcolm Brogdon. I still got to worry about Al. I still got to you got you continue to name depth pieces and rotational guys because you know that the system is still going to work for them, right? One in particular last year that that proved that theory is is Hauser for the Celtics. Hauser was an end of the bench guy, but was on the playoff rotation because of how he fit in Missoula's system. So I'm excited to see who are those guys this year for us that not only play well in Snyder's system, but play so well that he, they become a person that, we have to, that people have to scheme about, people have to worry about when they come off the bench, right? And like I said, it could be the older guys, the, the, the proven three-point shooters, like I said, the Wes Matthews, the Patty Mills. But it might be the Garrison Matthews. It might be, you know, um, and this would be extremely exciting, but it could be a guy like Seth Lundy. It could be an A.J. Griffin taking that next step, and we'll get on to him before I close because I want to challenge people to actually focus on what A.J. is doing aside from what A.J. isn't doing. There's been a lot of conjecture talked about on him, talked about him on Twitter. But that's what I'm excited for this year is that I've, I feel like for the first time in the Hawks, maybe in the Hawks, maybe in, the, in my time as a Hawks fan, I'm watching an offense that seemingly works for anybody who has the ball in their hand and for people who don't have the ball in their hand. There seems to be a plan every single time we walk up the floor. And that is not something I've been able to say about the Hawks in a very long time. But lastly, and I'll finish with this because it did just pop up in my head. The A.J. Griffin story needs to be given some context this is a guy who has seemingly the Jalen Johnson on, on Yekka and Kongo weight on his shoulders but just shouldn't and I, and I want to preface my statements by saying AJ has elite level skills in, in some parts of his game he's got one of the best floaters of a young kid I've ever seen he's got some of the best touch of a young wing in the league he's got you know untapped athleticism if his knee can remain healthy and continue to get stronger and if you don't believe me go back and watch AJ pre-knee injury in high school if we can get 85% of that athleticism out of him for his career you're looking at a guy who now athletically adds an an extra level to the wings in this offense uh, which is something we've been clamoring for since we drafted Cam Reddish but what I want people to realize with AJ is one AJ Griffin needs to be given time. He has to be given time. I understand that people feel like if he takes the next step, then he feels like the, they, 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 people feel like the, the sky's the limit for this team, and they're right to feel that way because they're not incorrect. If he takes the next step, yeah, for sure. I, I've called him, I think he has Desmond Bain level of potential. And we all know that Desmond Bain really, within three years, became the second best player on that team some would argue third behind Jaron Jackson Jr., but regardless, became a genuine Robin to John Moran's Batman. And he did it, in, and it started in year two, right? You know, he averaged 9.2 points a game in year one, then averaged 9, 18 in year two, and this is Desmond Bain, and then 21 points last year. But what I want people to understand is, one, A.J. Griffin's probably not going to jump to 18 points a game this year. We'll be lucky for him to jump to 15. But two, this is a guy who needs to be given time. A.J. Griffin was a part of that class in high school that had to deal with COVID and their season being shut down. This is a kid who last year or two years ago at Duke was his first time playing basketball in almost a year and a half. 
he's a little bit behind the curve when it comes to basketball. And it showed last year a little bit. He hit the rookie wall um, in February of last year, if I'm not mistaken. And you really saw, obviously, him slow down from the three-point shots. Um, his percentages really started to, to, to take a toll at the end of the year. But, I mean, once again, he hit a wall. He hit that rookie wall. Rookie, rookies talk about it every, all the time. They hit a wall somewhere around late January, early February, right around the All-Star break, break where the numbers, where their legs get tired and they just don't have the, 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 uh, the conditioning, right? AJ hit that wall last year. But what I want people to focus on more importantly is the responsibility AJ Griffin had last year was an unfair responsibility to him. Because of the inj- because of Bogey and his knee, he became our best three-point shooter seemingly overnight. And Nate went from playing him about 8 minutes a game to saying, "Hey, you've got to be essentially our sixth man in some respects." Right, and if not six man, a high level seventh man, and as a rookie, that had, in my opinion, when we drafted him, we had no aspirations of doing that. For him to go, you know, from playing to starting the year off, where he played, you know, nine minutes here, ten minutes here, to all of a sudden you're getting twenty five, twenty seven, thirty minutes in the flash. I think he just burnt out a little bit. But going into this year, I just want people to be honest with themselves when they watch AJ and they realize, okay, this is a guy who has more of a complete game than what we respect. Or we expected, excuse me. Not we respect. We, we expected. But more importantly, that we just give the kid time. He needs time. The preseason hasn't been great for him. Don't, don't, I don't want people to misconstrue my words. It hasn't been great for him. He's been efficiently he, – he has not been efficient at all. Um – but he's, he's shown that he has a more complete game and can be more impactful from just his shooting. I mean, you look at the Pelicans game. He had four steals and five rebounds. He had more points and he, he had more steals and rebounds than he did points. And one person could go, oh, man, he sucked on the offensive end. Sure. But if you're telling me that a guy, when he's shooting one for 11, can still understand that he can be impactful on the glass and on the defensive end of the ball, then I've got to be a basketball player that I can work with. And that's what we need to do with AJ this year. Work with him. Understand that. And this goes for Jalen. This goes for Onyeka. This goes for Kobe Bufkin, because I know he's going to play a lot more minutes than people maybe think he is. This goes for a lot of these young guys that we understand if they take that next step, makes the Hawks that much closer to a title contender. But we also need to understand that they're in year two. They're in year three. And that we didn't expect this of a John Collins in the year three. We did expect this of a Trey, but also Trey was a top five pick. So that's a different kind of that's a different kind of gravy. All of these guys that we're talking about outside of Onyeka were outside the lottery and should be given some of that grace that you give to guys that are picked in the teens. Yes, they'll show flashes. Hell, maybe they'll show more consistency this year and they'll really be able to put it all together in some respects. But at the end of the day, AJ Griffin's in year two. Jalen Johnson is in year three. <laughs> And the the more grace we give with that, the less frustration that will lead to from the fan base. I still expect this Hawks team to be really good, and I'll get to my my my, my preseason or my, my regular season predictions um, for the Hawks in the next episode, which should come out later this week as we have NBA basketball this week. Uh, Hawks first game, first real game, quote unquote, um, being October twenty fifth, yeah, against the Hornets. 
So we've got 10 days when I'm recording this. I'm recording this on the 15th. So this week, I but, th- but this week in particular, I will come out with my regular season um, win total, win expectations for the Hawks as well as the rest of the NBA um, as we do have, if I'm not mistaken, actual NBA basketball this week coming up. But yeah, grace is what we give those guys because it's necessary in my personal opinion. Coming up, the Hawks do play the Pacers and have one more preseason game after that will they be seeing the 76ers um next friday on october 20th or with this friday on october 20th i'm excited to see what the hawks are able to do against a young team in the pacers in particular uh because the preseason is where teams like the pacers get to really run like they want to um they don't get bogged down with being the idea of a fringe play-in or possible play-in team there's, it's early. You know, they've got a lot of young players. Um, like we get to see Obi Toppin for the first time as a pacer. See really what that team is cooking about because that team is a, is a quietly going to be a, a quiet league pass team for me um, because they're just going to be extremely fun to watch with Tyrese, and I love Benedict Mather, and Miles Turner is obviously going to be a key piece for them as well this year, like I said, Obi Toppin. And then obviously they play the 76ers at the end, which I think is a good finish, um, especially giving us a, a better idea of how we're going to handle bigs this year, how we're going to handle – teams that have given us regular season struggles um, in the 76ers who have and and, te- and where we can measure ourselves up, at least when the starters are out there, how we can measure ourselves up against a team that should be, emphasis on should, should be a team that's in the top six. If they plummet out of the top six, that'll be something that I don't see necessarily coming, but a team that should be in the top six and has been in the top six and in the top three over the last two seasons. But episode number one, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Like I said, if you guys want to follow me on also my social medias, it's Xavier underscore Trish. That's X-A-V-I-V as in victory, E-R underscore T-R-I-C-H-E on all my social media accounts, literally all of them. Hell, even my Xbox gamer tag. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's the first episode out. Breakfast talk with the Hawks is how I'm coining this. Uh, this podcast series. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you guys can follow me on my social medias. And I'm willing to talk. Hop into my spaces. Hop in fellow hot spaces that I'll be in all year and we could talk. Like, I ha- I am not afraid to have any kind of discourse about the Atlanta Hawks, good, bad, or ugly. And anybody on Twitter who has talked to me before knows that. And I stand by that. I am as, I try to be as objective as I possibly can. Obviously, there's going to be some homerism there and in some points. And there's going to be some subjectivity in certain aspects. But I try to be as objective as I possibly can. I would like to say I am 70% objective when it comes to the Hawks. 75% if we're playing bad. <laughs> but that's, uh, that's out. Um, like I said, I appreciate you guys for listening to the podcast. I hope you guys can share it everywhere. Um, I, hope we, I hope we get a fan base here you know, that listens to the pod and, and, and really gives me proper feedback because I want to know how good, bad, or ugly I am on every single pod. Um, because I like that discourse, and I like to have the discussion, and I want to be better for you guys week in and week out. But with that being said, I'm out. Y'all have a great rest of your day. I'm about to grab my cup of coffee, and uh, y'all have a good one. Later. Peace.